Hello everyone, this is John Fleck from Harvest Fellowship, and welcome to this podcast series on 1 John. We are going to start where we left off during the evening service series, back before the stay-at-home order began. So go ahead, grab your Bible, and join me as we dig right in. It is the last hour. Are you ready? That's the question we are discussing this week. No doubt, some of you are considering that question right now in a new light. We are living in interesting times, to say the least. I think we have all asked, what is going on? Or what does the future look like? Questions like, why am I so afraid or anxious? How many are going to die? Am I going to get sick and die? Or maybe you're concerned about your freedoms being squashed on as the government closes businesses, schools, and essentially forces millions of people to put life on hold and give up their financial security. What are they up to? Should I be suspicious of what is happening? But what about our healthcare workers and all those who are else at high risk? When do I stand up against my rights being trampled? In the middle of this, how do I balance the love of Christ and truth? It's hard to tell what the truth is in these times. And these are questions I think we all have been asking. We are certainly in uncharted waters, and fear seems to be the current pulling us along. It is into the middle of a similar circumstance the Apostle John writes these words, It is the last hour. A schism in the church has occurred, leaving people wondering, leaving people afraid. Do I know Jesus? What is the truth, and who is the one telling it? Let's take a look at the passage today. Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verses 18-28. through 28. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie. As it has taught you, remain in him. So now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. John really has one main idea here that he wants us to really grab onto. He tells us to remain in Jesus. But why? Let's dig into that a little more. First, John tells us to remain in Jesus because it is the last hour, the time between Christ's first and second coming. It is the last hour before all things are made new. He is coming back soon. So in the midst of your current circumstances, being stuck at home, 
waiting to return to work, wrestling the kids and trying to help them with their school or just keep sanity in your home, or working extra hours to try to help at the office or on the job site just to keep work up with so many others at home. Remember that Jesus is coming back soon, and when he does, everything will be made right. One of the main reasons John has written this letter is to respond to some schism, some breakup that has occurred within the church. From the text, we learn that there was some people teaching something that was against Christ, Antichrist. That is really what Antichrist means. These Antichrists, we are told, went out from them. That means they were previously present among the church John is writing to. More specifically, from verses 22 through 23, we know that these Antichrists were denying something about Jesus, and therefore they didn't know the Father either. And you have to get Jesus right in order to get the Father right. And that lesson is as true for us today as it was 2,000 years ago. Some today teach that Jesus was just a prophet, like Islam. Others say that he was a separate God who obtained deity in time, like Mormonism. Yet others deny his resurrection, like the Jehovah's Witnesses. These are examples of teaching against Christ or anti-Christ. They deny or significantly alter the divinity, character, and historicity of Jesus. And our response is the same as it was to the original audience of John's letter. Remain in Jesus, the one who so many seen, heard, perceived, and touched. Remember, that's how he began this letter. So how do we apply this? Especially in the midst of COVID-19, where truth and lies are all mixed together, in the midst of fear and sickness, in the midst of loneliness and isolation and frustration, not just with what's on the TV or what you're having to do at home or at work, but with your spouse, with your kids. Relationships are strained. In the midst of this, stop and remember the ancient paths. Remain in Christ. I don't know where any of this is going to land or how long it'll be till some resemblance of normalcy returns. But I do know that if we don't put our hope, our trust, and our faith in Jesus, who is our first love, fear will overtake us. And it won't be many chapters later where John will tell us this. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. We cannot forget those words in this time. Now, getting back to the text, regarding the identity of these dissenters, sometimes you'll hear and some people believe that those who left the church believed some form of early Gnosticism. That might be the case, but really we, we don't have enough evidence straight from the text to be sure. And even if it was in response to early Gnostic thought, John purposely doesn't provide us with more detail regarding who these Antichrists were, because he wants us to stay away from anything that is not in line with the simple gospel message we have heard from the apostles. John's wanting, our, wanting us to apply this truth um, with whatever context we're living in. And that, in a way, is the main message of the entire letter we're looking at. Remain in what you learned from the beginning. Remain in the plain and historical gospel message handed down to you, not because we say so, because it is true, and because it's the last hour. Whenever we talk about identifying antichrists, the importance of truth and unity in the body of Christ should also be mentioned. 
We don't want to label people improperly, and it's a rather dangerous thing to do so. These antichrists are not those who disagree with us on even fairly significant issues. They are the ones who deny the very basic characteristics of who Jesus is and actively are against Christ and Christians. They even may call themselves Christians, even though they really are not. Remember, we can and should love people across denominational boundaries as much as possible and as far as possible. We need to remember that our unity or disunity is only on the basis of Christ alone. And that can be really hard, but we should strive to be as unified as possible in all things. Back to the text here. I'm going to read verses 20 through 27 of chapter 2 now. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written you to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. Here we see that the second thing John calls us to is to remain in Jesus, because we have an anointing from the Holy One. I want to read to you regarding this idea of anointing from a commentary by Robert Yarbrough. He says, John would have been aware that from the days of Moses, fine olive oil was rubbed or poured on objects to mark them off for God's special use. That is, these objects were anointed. Aaron and his sons were anointed in like fashion for their service in the tent of meeting. They shall minister to me as priests, and it will be that they will have an anointing of priesthood forever. That's from Exodus chapter 40. The connection between the priest's anointing and the expectation that they would continue in God's service and blessing is worth noting in light of John's focus on abiding in the same section of 1 John in which he speaks of Christians' anointing. Later in the history of Israel, prophets like Samuel anointed men chosen by God to be king. David was honored in this way. On that occasion, the Holy Spirit came upon David in power. That's 1 Samuel 16. Still later, and in John's very lifetime, Jesus Christ, the son of David, was viewed by the early Christians as God's anointed one. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the anointed one. That's Acts chapter 4, which is quoting Psalm 2. As John writes to believers who have an anointing from the Holy One, who was himself anointed, it is hard to imagine him not recalling this heritage of blessing and setting apart for service, dating back both to Christ's own life and then many centuries earlier to God's people in Old Testament times. The climatic coming of the Anointed One, which is the Greek word Christos, from which derives the title Christ, results in a whole community that revels in the derivative anointing. While some have reluctantly departed from their community, John addresses those who remain. As they listen to the apostolic message in which John's epistle confirms them, their anointing is a source of comfort and hope. This anointing, this source of comfort and hope, is the gospel message taken to heart. 
This anointing is the result of being born again, worked out for us by the Holy One, who has anointed us for a new purpose as his chosen people. Remember that. You have been anointed, set apart by God for a specific purpose in Jesus Christ. And that purpose is to be a witness of him, to do what John's doing in this letter, to bring the kingdom of God to whatever corner of the earth you are in right now. Don't let your purpose be distracted with the endless hype on the news cycle. Our call is clear no matter how pressing the uncertainty is and regardless of how close danger and pandemics and antichrists lurk. In the New Testament, the Holy One sometimes refers to God, sometimes it's referring to Jesus, um, and probably most frequently the Holy Spirit. John's not specific which one he has in mind here. And I actually find this vagueness helpful because it demonstrates the idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit as one. You find this vagueness regarding who's actually up to what throughout the New Testament epistles and the Gospels. And it points out that the New Testament authors were not overly concerned with always specifying whether it was Father, Son, or Spirit at work in their lives or in specific events. This demonstrates the core idea of the Trinity, that God is one, yet three. You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but you will find this understanding of the unity and oneness between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all over. That isn't to say that each figure of the Trinity doesn't have specific roles or purposes in relating to us as his people. We see that Jesus sends the Spirit as another paraclete, as we discussed in previous weeks. The Son sits at God's right hand to intercede for us, and the Father is often described as the Creator, the King on the throne. Yet, for example, in the beginning, back in Genesis, we are told that God created the heavens and the earth. But recall who is hovering over those primal waters. It was the Spirit. And John in his Gospel reminds us also that Jesus, the Son of God, was there too. They were all engaged in the creation of existence, three in one, yet distinct, and in relationship with each other. Notice also in verse 27 what the anointing we received from him does for us. It teaches us all things. It is not a lie. We know the truth. No lie comes from the truth. I'm going to read to you from another commentary by Karen Jobes. Here she speaks on the nature of spiritual truth. Perhaps John's major point in this passage addresses the nature of spiritual truth. Not every claim to truth about God is just another form of monotheism. Just because God is invisible does not mean that anything one might imagine about him has a legitimate claim to be the truth. One source of confusion today is that truth is determined by what most people believe, as if by vote. Such a view puts the foundations of truth on shifting sands as the culture and demographics of a population change over time. This idea of truth by majority opinion leads to the idea that all personal opinions about God are of equal value. This idea has led to a reader-response approach to the Bible, expressed in statements such as, Well, that might be what it means to you, but to me it means such and such. If each person is an equal arbiter of truth, especially of religious or moral truth, then majority rule would be the best that human society could achieve. In the context of a monotheistic culture, differing viewpoints about God and how to know him are put forth as simply different aspects of the truth. 
even when they are at root, incompatible. The idea that there are many paths that lead to the same God may be well intended to keep the peace, but it bellies a fundamental misunderstanding of monotheism. Certainly there are in fact many facets of truth when speaking of a complex subject such as God and his relationship to the world. Christian theologians can speak of Christology, soteriology, pneumatology, eschatology, ecclesiology, and theology proper, but not every idea about God in our world today is simply a matter of looking at him from a different perspective. There is a difference between truth and falsehood. And this is perhaps the most difficult claim of John's message, and the entire New Testament, to uphold today. Even many professing Christians are more open to accepting spiritual truth from other religions without criticizing it against the orthodox apostolic teaching handed down through the ages. As Ben Witherington comments, in 1 John 2 verse 21, our author indicates that truth and lies are at polar extremes from one another, or as C.H. Dodd puts it, they are generically different. A lie is not, for example, some aspect of the truth. To suppose that it is may be a false kind of tolerance, or just muddled or lazy thinking. As for tolerance, at least it is clear that no one has any business to tolerate falsehood along with the truth in his own mind. Thus, the primary application of John's message in this passage must be the recognition that there is such thing as heresy, and sometimes it can even come from those who profess to be a Christian. Lastly, John tells us to remain in Jesus because of his promise of eternal life. Verse 28 reads, So now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Remember, it is the last hour. He is coming back soon. Keep your mind and your heart fixed on that reality. There's always going to be uncertainty regarding our immediate and pressing circumstances. But you can be certain that Jesus will come back. And I, for one, want to have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. Jesus told us in many parables to be ready for his return. Matthew chapters 24 through 25 contains several parables at all costs to get ready right now. I encourage you to read those two chapters this week and wrestle with them in your heart. Let's read the last of the parables in Matthew's gospel regarding his return. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. This parable is typically titled, The Sheep and the Goats. Starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? 
and the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me either. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Those are hard words. Right now, many of us are longing to return to ordinary life. Many people are really struggling right now. I have wrestled with anxiousness in ways that are new to me. I know that I'm not alone. So, remember those who are the least of these, who are in homes where there's brokenness. Remember those who are out of work. Remember the kids at home and their parents who are struggling. Remember the sick. Remember the blind. Remember the deaf who really can't do this social distancing and technology thing at the same time with learning. Remember Todd Nelson and his family. Pray for them. And I hope that when we are released from isolation, that we will remember with a new awareness the needs of the people around us. For whatever we do for the least, the weak, the sick, the lonely, when we serve them out of love for our Savior, we are in fact serving our Savior himself. Let us not get distracted with politics or endless news of this and that right now. Remember, it is the last hour. Are you ready? There are many voices who seek to distract and to pull you away from the historical Jesus and the historical gospel message and the historical gospel mission. Remain in Jesus. Let me conclude by saying that if you are in need of prayer or support right now, please, Please let us know at harvest. And may you remain in Jesus, knowing that he is coming back soon. Amen. Thank you all for listening. And remember to join us next Wednesday when we will be discussing what John means when he says, We will be made like Jesus when he returns. Until then, may God bless you as you prepare even now for his return. Amen.